a weekly update note next week, and and this is unusual because I always work on December twenty fifth, and I think most of us you know make a point of that. But uh, I have been invited next week to uh, be the guest speaker at Mayanot Yeshiva High School in Teaneck, New Jersey. I'm very much looking forward to it, and um, uh, Chava and Yonina Siegel have indicated that I will be off from JMNAM next Friday. Uh, and I will be there in my note uh, with a presentation. Again, I thank them. So the weekly update will take a week off next week, Malcolm with a well-deserved vacation, and then we will reconvene two weeks from today. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and, in fact, joins us for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. No, good morning. I'll still do the broadcast, except no one will hear it. <laughs> <laughs> you practically do it in your sleep at this point, I would think, all these issues. You probably think about them and dream about them day and night. I wouldn't say it's a dream. In fact, 20 years More ago, a nightmare. 20 years ago, people used to say about you, you're obsessed with Islamic fundamentalism. Remember that? Now all yeah. of a sudden the world has woken up and has seen that your obsession, in fact, became a true reality. But anyway... It- it was a reality then, it just people didn't want to recognize it in the same way about Iran, that people said, you know, yeah. who cares, Iran's not going to be important in the 1990, 91, 92. And we warned about this. It's, all of these things were... If anybody goes back to our programming from mm-hmm. just, I don't know, anywhere from 15 to 20 years ago, they'll hear it almost every single time. Uh, oh, and by the way, but before we get into some other issues, I have to ask you, because if we have a connection to somebody who has frequented the prime minister's house, I need to ask you this question. Have you ever been bitten by the prime minister's dog, Malcolm? It seems to be a big story out there, the prime minister's dog misbehaving on the holiday of Hanukkah. Have you ever been a victim? Not, uh, I was never bitten by the prime minister or his dog, <laughs> but my, I did take uh, um, some of my grandchildren were invited there on uh, when we were in uh, Sukkot in Israel. Yeah, and I hope it was a hang, uh, hung around. I think it's only when there is a big crowd uh-huh. that this mutt uh, gets activated. All right, uh, it, it is a long story to the to the dog and why the prime minister and his wife adopted it. Right, uh, but. Uh, he was very friendly, I could say that, when we were there. Yeah, okay, thank God. Your family made it out safe <laughs> and sound, Baruch Hashem. I'll I tell you about it, too. I, I, it's funny, though. You know, you, you wonder about what some of the most influential newspapers in the world are writing about and websites are writing about, and they were obsessed with that story. Um, I, I know that it, it, it may be fruitless to discuss this because we're not going to get anywhere, but it's just I watched the Tuesday night debate, uh, I, I see those who want to replace Barack Obama as president of the United States. It, it is, uh, and, and you may just reassure me that this is all. In, I, in fact, I spoke to Michael Fragan on the air about it earlier in the week, and he said, "Look, there's there's no other option but to do this." The the, the thirty second answers of how a candidate as president would defeat ISIS to to me is almost comical. What do you think as you hear these presentations in in short form by these armchair generals? To be very honest, I listen to very little of it, and I try to engage in much more productive. Uh, and in that case, we were involved with outreach to UN ambassadors and uh, uh, other officials at that hour on some of the critical issues. And and one of the results this week, uh, yesterday, the UN actually recognized Yom Kippur as a holiday wow. and will excuse employees and will not hold official sessions on Yom Kippur. And kudos, especially to the Israeli mission to the UN, but many of us who supported it, um, 
Uh, now, although it's, uh, its impact it does not really change the nature of the U.N. and its uh, continuing biases against Israel, it's still an important recognition that yeah. with all the other holidays on its schedule. So, I mean, you've told us many times about symbolism and recognitions. Obviously, it's important. Yeah. Right. And I, I do, so I do not put a lot of stock in the debates. You really don't get a fair uh, uh, explication of the views. And as the field uh, is winnowed and we get to uh, a smaller number who can have a serious discussion, I think it will be of much more interest. Speaking of the U.N., by the way, there was a Security Council resolution about cutting off ISIS funding this week. Am I right? There is a resolution about uh, that uh, to sanction ISIS. Um, and there was also a criticism of the of the Iranians over the missile launch that actually now two missile launches clearly designated as a violation of security council resolution 1929 but uh, one of the answers given by an american official was that that the the debate itself is a form of un action and meaning sanction because till now there's really been no consequence for what is a very blatant act and challenge to the west uh, in the in in the uh, launching of uh, the Edom, uh, uh, the um, ballistic missile that was uh, fired. So the the and then when we had the reports of the IEA to the United Nations, the International Atomic Energy Agency, which said that number one, the work did not stop. Iran's nuclear work did not stop in 2003. Went to at least 2009 and beyond. And that uh, while they don't have hard evidence about what happened thereafter, the fact is that they were not given access to the information to the PMDs, as they're called, the past military uh, po- possi- dimensions. Possi- po- possible military dimensions, according to uh, your press release. Well, you there's a lot of mafarshim on it. <laughs> uh, it depends if you, it's Rashi Tyson says it's past military development. There are a lot of different, uh, but it all ends up meaning what did they do? before, because that becomes the baseline. How can you measure what they've done now or what they're doing now if you, if you don't know where they came from? But I'm, how, but what I, was the base? So but, I'm, but, I'm conf- back, but when you and the organization came out against the vote, what was the vote? The vote was to say what by the uh, I. Well, it wasn't a vote. This was a recommendation of a panel of experts that was convened by the uh, Security Council, and their uh, findings were were what was reported, so there wasn't mm. really a, a, a vote, um, and so the decision, as described, was really political, not practical. And the feeling is that all of this set just sends the wrong message. They say the panel of experts that were convened said in this confidential report that the EMAD launch, meaning this missile, mm. was a was a violation, and that it, it does not say what will be the consequences. Um, about the the uh, w- will the United Nations take any action that will send a message to Iran and to others that they're serious? Will this become an excuse for Iran to, again to threaten that it will pull out if we don't go along with it? So we keep uh, overlooking these uh, actions, and we're rushing towards implementation day, which could come as early as January, and then the process for the release of funds, etc., will will have begun, and. And that obviously has great significance, and especially as we see Iran's activities, whether in South America, in other places, aside from the human rights violations, aside from the global support for terror, aside from the nuclear program, all moving ahead, and its nefarious role continues. And you've described to us uh, uh, many, many times the, um, 
the, the that once the money starts, right? Once that process begins, it's going to happen so fast, right? It's going to absolutely. Just, yeah. it, it will, and the funds will not end up benefiting the people. The funds will obviously be going to all of these massive expenditures. We see that the Iranians, for instance, are are drawing down their troops in Syria. Now we're not sure whether it's because that they're already facing a reaction to the loss of life or because they want to sacrifice others and let the the Russians uh, bomb and let the uh, Hezbollah fight. And Hezbollah, by the way, has lost at least 1,500 of their fighters and 5,000 wounded. And remember, out of a force of a total of of perhaps 20,000, that losing 6,500 fighters uh, as active participants is a a huge blow. And the... um, the, the reports are that the Iranians are withdrawing their elite troops, perhaps replacing them with Afghani and other fighters that they're recruiting. Um, and the IRGC has also suffered loss, and their losses are of officers. And uh, till now, Hezbollah hid the, the losses, not even holding uh, funerals or public funerals. Now, for some strange reason, they've started to, to hold public funerals and putting the, the flag the Hezbollah flag on the coffins, uh, and this is bound to create more of a backlash amongst their their supporters and amongst the the uh, it, Lebanese people is as it, they see the casualties. Is it a statement to their supporters? Is it a statement of independence or one that you know that that they and I assume you mean Iran, right? I mean basically mm-hmm. that, that, that they have to be wary of what their uh, you know, uh, colleagues might do or how they're going to behave out there? Like, could it be some type of signal to Iran? Uh, it's very hard to tell. I don't know anybody who's, who has yet come up with a, uh, an explanation. It could be that they are trying to build nationalistic fervor and say, look at the price we're paying to fight the enemy because it's against ISIS. Right. It's not uh, a war to liberate Syria anymore. This is a war along the Lebanese-Syrian border, mostly, for them, uh, and that they are fighting against, you know, the danger of ISIS coming across the border. Because remember, the initial reaction of a lot of them was, we, we signed up to fight Israel, not to fight in Syria. Now you're seeing that there there is um, a shift in that regard. It must. It, it actually might frustrate Hezbollah that the attention has gotten away from the real enemy, so to speak. Well, it does frustrate them, but they. Remember, number one, our wholly owned subsidiary of Iran and have to right. do their bidding. Number two, they have been enlisted uh, and invited in by Assad, and they are part of the coalition with the Russians in Iran and with uh, with other forces there. And they, they are also fighting against uh, al-Qaeda and others whom they seen as, see as ideological as well as uh, political enemies. Uh, just back to my original thing with the whole you know UN resolution about cutting off ISIS funding, it, it, I, I know that it probably has no teeth and doesn't mean much, but what, what, what would it be officially? That if a U.N. nation, if a U.N. member would go ahead and fund them, then they would be criticized, they would be sanctioned? I mean, is that, is that generally what, they're, what the U.N. Security Council is trying to say here, that we're not going to tolerate if one of our members actually funds ISIS? Well, funding ISIS uh, it, it would be seen as an act of support of terror, but it, right. it, it's, it's more, I, I have to say, that the actions um, at the United Nations are are less significant, I think, than what we saw in the Congress, where there are real actions being taken by members of Congress, and you have a vote against Hezbollah that was 225 to 0, imposing sanctions. You have uh, 425 to 0. Uh, then you have um, uh, 
other actions against the proposals about Iran and Iran's violation, especially about the um, issue of the missile launch and whether there are consequences and the feeling that Iran is continuing to, to get away with the uh, murder. And that really can have practical implications when you look at what the, what the significance of the American legislative initiatives, and they're gaining uh, broader support for across the aisle. So it shows yeah. that Democrats also are very concerned about the consequences of the deal and its implementation if, uh, you know, that, that they are passing and, and introducing, and I think we'll see in the, in the new year, the new session, uh, even more significant uh, legislative initiatives. Wow. Does it say much politically about the president and the fact that his party is, uh, you know, joining in re- what really is bipartisan support for all this in Congress, or you'd expect this no matter who the president would be? No, I think uh, I think Iranian actions are are proving that the concerns about the the deal were legitimate and across think, the aisle bipartisan. Uh, uh, yes, and when you see, for instance, Senator Coons, who who was one of those a Democrat from Delaware who voted for it, he said, "Look, I supported this," but he chided the administration pretty t- uh, strongly, and so did others. I mean, a lot of the initiative is coming from uh, Democratic members who are now. You know, looking back, they did what they had to do for the administration, but um, now they are, you know, seeing that the dangers that are uh, inherent in this. And you have the, there's, for instance, um, uh, the uh, Qasem legislation, that's Q-A-S-S-A-M, Quarantining the Atollah State-Sponsored Aggression and Militancy Act, which I thought was really an interesting name. (laughs) But... They are they are looking to introduce uh, uh, financial and other uh, means to to hit the the Iranian armed forces, the IRGC, and others, and that anybody who does business with them or supports them in other ways would be impacted by this kind of uh, of legislation. And then one that that uh, if you remember, we discussed uh, a while ago about uh, uh, allowing states to initiate su- sanctions against uh, Iran. And today, states that have legislation in the works, and if if this in fact had been a treaty, if in fact it had been voted by the Senate and treated as an international agreement, then that would supersede state law. But because it didn't, and as we tried to explain at the time, um, they couldn't bring it to a vote. And had there been a vote, it was 58-42, the last count in the Senate, uh, against the bill, it would have been defeated. But the the fact that there was no vote means that states are not precluded from adopting additional sanctions. Right. We spoke at that time about the uh, political machinations that were going on to make sure the mm-hmm. system would be in place to get the deal that was wanted from the White House. So, uh, America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live. From the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. No weekly update next week, uh, although normally on December the 25th I am here. I'm the guest speaker at the Mayanot Yeshiva High School, and I thank them for that. Malcolm and I will reconvene two weeks from today. Uh, I, I feel it's important. I mean, I mentioned this last week also, and again, on the whole subject of becoming immune to it and wondering what our brothers and sisters in Israel are going through. Another ramming attack this week at a place that I bet most of this audience knows about. Certainly most of the audience has traveled to Israel uh, there at the String Bridge in Yerushalayim. And uh, no deaths, but many injuries and some heartbreaking stories, of course. 
Uh, I just feel like I have to bring it up each week, especially as we read now that Israel is gearing up for what they believe are going to be more terror attacks and more significance. So I just, um, you know, I feel that it's got to be mentioned that we we, we have to remember what's happening there on a regular basis. Um, In addition... Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it is a serious issue that people become so regularized to these mm. attacks that they hardly get, and number one, any general coverage. It's why the Daily Alert, which I hope everybody by now is reading, dailyalert.org, um, in addition to the Jewish World Review, that they um, that we make sure to include reports on it because the general press is not any more fo- uh, focusing. And we have to remember that people are being hurt, that many of these, these people are hurt seriously. If they don't get killed, it's, it's, not a, it's hardly even a statistic anymore. And, um, and we see that Abbas is continuing the incitement, and he's justified this week in a speech two days ago. Yeah. This says a popular uprising, and meaning the violence that was, uh, that's being carried out. And today he blamed the, the United States. Well, he blames everybody, but he's always <laughs> blaming everything else. You know, as somebody told me, they, they, everybody blames everything on El Nino and Bibi, and they blame Bibi for El Nino. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and Mashal of Hamas, he called for blood, uh, blood jihad, and and unfortunately, in the latest study, two thirds of the people in the West Bank support the violence, and we see this now in, in a pattern of repeated uh, public opinion uh, polls. And if you remember, all this was predicated on this idea that al is under siege and that Abbas keeps using that as a, as a rallying point and, the, the, uh, and instigating a religious war, not a territorial dispute, not a political conflict, but this became, it's becoming a religious war. And it's interesting that Yusuf Zaydan, who's a, a recognized Egyptian scholar uh, on, on Cairo television, spoke about the fact that this is not the Al-Aqsa that's mentioned in the Quran, that there's a different Al-Aqsa in Taif, which is where he went. He said this didn't even exist at the time of Muhammad, and, and uh, in fact it was called an A-E-L-I-A, which was the Roman name, and there were no mosques in Jerusalem. And that the Caliph of Damascus, he says, Ibn Marwan, was the one who created it. It was part of a political game. So the whole history is, is a complete distortion, and his uh, exhortations, which continue, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, is, is and, mush, and the, the fact that Hamas and others take advantage of it because they see it's a good rallying call. Oh, we got to get people into schools to teach this to our children. People... And, and teach them about all the amazing discoveries, which continue all the time. Four kids walking in uh, Ajulam Park during Hanukkah find three Hashmanai coins, coins from the time of the Maccabees, just laying there as they walk in a, in a park. And uh, we're there, I think, for an archaeological uh, dig. By the way, speaking of good news and speaking of uh, divine intervention, what did you think of Bibi's reaction finally to the gas deal that he, set, that he, um, that he signed? The offshore gas field that uh, Israel has discovered now really could be, could, I mean, tell me if you agree, could make Israel an energy exporter. It's absolutely negotiating to be an energy exporter, and they're trying to work out understandings with Egyptian um, interests. There is a a, a big um, conflict still between Egypt, Egypt's energy industry and Israel because they have to make up for the time and, and compensate Israel for the cutoff of, of uh, oil that was supposed to be delivered, if you remember, under 
the Morsi government, uh, they cut it off, and there's a judgment of uh, $3 billion against them, and they are bulk, uh, uh, They don't want to pay, and they are refusing it, and it's become a little bit of a contentious issue. But I think one of the reasons why we're seeing Turkey um, renew the relationship is that they're looking for an alternative to the Russian uh, oil and gas that they get, and Israel, as part of this deal, is talking about uh, a pipeline for natural gas to go from Israel to Turkey, in addition to the other provisions, which include uh, compensation to some of the victims, to the families of the victims or victims of the who were involved in uh, 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 when they had the, the, the breaking the siege in Gaza and the Mava Mamara uh, siege. Could, could, but, all, yeah. but Israel also uh, received um, uh, some concessions. Not only are they renewing diplomatic relations, which is important for Israel. Turkey is a very critical country in the in the whole the wider geopolitical uh, circumstance, but they're preventing Hamas leaders who are responsible for a lot, giving directions for a lot of the terror in the West Bank from Turkey, from entering Turkey, and um, uh, and uh, other provisions that were um, that were included. First of all, on the gas thing, is it possible that all this could lead to a closer relationship? between Israel and Egypt, they could become more uh, 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 allied, especially as Egypt continues to get threats from everywhere, it seems. If anyone's could, be, if anyone's you know that Egypt has a bigger find than Israel, it's estimated. Mm. It will take years to develop it, but they, they have a huge find uh, as well. Uh, so all of this could, you, if, if Cyprus, Israel, and Egypt together work together, they can become a major source of energy for the world and provide alternatives, whether it's for, for to Russia, for, for Europeans who are wholly dependent on Russian gas, or it could be for export to the East. You know, China devours all the energy it can, and it, it could have broad implications, absolutely. The other thing is, you know, I read about the Turkey deal. Why was I under the impression <laughs> that there already was a formal diplomatic renewal between Israel and Turkey and that everything having to do with the flotilla had basically been, you know, apologized for and all the arrangements were made? Didn't we go through this whole routine before? <laughs> well, Israel did apologize, and there were negotiations when uh, Prime Minister called uh, Erdogan about a year ago. Uh, but it, it, it's all stopped, and Erdogan did not allow it really to progress. And they had the elections, other things in, in, in Egypt, uh, in uh, Turkey. But I think now his situation has deteriorated, the economic situation with the Russians cutting off tourism, cutting off um, uh, trade with them. I think that the fighting in Syria the, and the, um, there are other considerations, I think, for Turkey. In doing this, I would not look for Halcyon period. I don't think that this is going to end his criticisms of Israel and his flirtations with the, the terrorist organizations. But I think that the situation in Syria, the threats on his border, other needs, and all the time, by the way, that he was doing this, the trade between Turkey and Israel has been increasing, which means that the people themselves were not participating in this kind of, of boycott. And when he looks and he sees that in Syria, Russia is clearly digging in for a long-term involvement. And, you know, they've now got more Air Force bases. They have the one, and now, supposing Homs the second, that they will have four bases. They have in, in Latakia 30 fixed aircraft that, uh, in, initially, and now more than double and double the number of helicopters, 25 long-range bombers. They're there, and they're operating, and their naval forces off the coast, 
so this is not a temporary involvement, and I think that the Turks look at this and say we got to find friends wherever we can, and the the that so the this which has been in the offing for a long time, and the United States pressed for it, um, is a result of that. Well, tell me about the significance of this brand new submarine heading to Israel this week. Every submarine becomes uh, it's not just the addition of another ship, but it's it has great significance because of their mobility, because it gives Israel a first strike capacity, and um, it's uh, it, it is the only Mediterranean power really to have them. Iran has their own self-made um, submarines. Other countries have one or two, but this these are are uh, specially equipped and uh, have great strategic value. This one's state of the art, huh? It is. This is a 2016 edition. I mean, I was reading about it. It's it's insane what what they have. What they have. Yes, these but days. We're, what we're seeing, you know, the influx of of more and more weapons, and and look how Russia is firing missiles from the Mediterranean and elsewhere in this show of force, and it is not a military necessity. They have these 25 bombers. They don't need to shoot missiles from from ships. It's a it's a show of power. It's it's to say, look at the capacity we have. We are back in the game. We are a military power. I can shoot missiles from submarines. I can shoot missiles from ships in the Mediterranean. And you guys better pay attention to us. What do you think of the L.A. school system uh, closing for over half a million kids with the threats that came in uh, this week? Well, I think criticism of them, uh, you know, is unfair because it's a, it's a toss-up. And, and the New York police decided that there wasn't a credible threat. And the uh, L.A. police uh, went into this uh, fast action mode. People say it's panic mode. But you know, I don't know. I wouldn't want to be in a position because what if, God forbid, something actually happened? But the, and the fact that they you know, focused a lot of attention on the fact that um, Allah didn't have a capital A in the note is, uh, is interesting. I mean, you know, the, today, if you notice, most of the emails and stuff you get, they don't capitalize. They don't put commas. They don't have anything. So I'm not sure people know anymore <laughs> how you capitalize something. Yeah, well, they know how to capitalize on a bomb threat, I'll tell you that much. They got however half a million kids to miss school. And, and again, we have to anticipate that there, there's going to be a, a lot more of this and that they play. This builds up fear. It's, I'm not saying it's part of ISIS or that this is even part of an organized effort. It could be, you know, kids who didn't want to take a test that day will call in bomb threats. But you see how nervous the American people and how seriously our law enforcement and others take this stuff that a few years ago might have been dismissed as, you know, uh, a crank call. There was a uh, there was there was um, chemical elements found in the keypad of a shul in Paris, not the one we were at, a different shul in Paris. And that was a, a different type of attack. I mean, you, these days you just don't know what's going to happen where and when. That's true. Simple and, as that. And, and, and you see all the manifestations that despite people thinking they're coming together, um, you know, you see the Egyptian pilots flying in Israeli air for, in airspace. You see Jordanian pilots coming on a, quote, working visit. Um, and one of them who refused to go was actually kicked out of the Air Force in, in Jordan, that the um, uh, people are, are breaking down barriers because the, this, this threat is so much larger than what any one country uh, can handle, and, and whether it's on the intelligence level or on other levels, you know, the United States said they lost thousands of uh, track of thousands of foreigners who had visas pulled uh, 
because of security reasons under the terror threat. And if you don't have complete cooperation with foreign powers and with others to keep keep track of uh, of all of this, no country itself, uh, as you see in Europe in particular, uh, and and then you have things like the Kuwait Airlines this week, right. which you remember when we discussed yeah. this in our lawfare project, we took the lead and the credit to the um, Port Authority and to the Department of Justice. But Kuwait Airlines, rather than allowing Israelis to fly on one route, just from New York to London, suspended it. Yep. They suspended it. We're willing to take the loss <laughs> rather than let Israelis just fly. It's not flying to, to, to Kuwait itself, which is not, uh, they still will fly from New York to Kuwait. But were they caving into threats or boycotts? I mean, do, do we know what was going on in there? Uh... Yes, it, it, in Kuwait, it's the law. You cannot, they will not admit people who come with Israeli passports. And therefore, and so they, uh, but Kuwait extended it uh, to London because on the Kuwaiti flights they say, look, if you have an Israeli passport, when you get there, you have no place to go. They won't admit you, so we won't take you. But London will certainly take them. And um, so I think that uh, it tells you there's still the deep-seated problems that we face. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, the I read that uh, Argentina is not cooperating with Iran, or they've officially cut off ties with Iran about the 94 bombing investigation. What this is, is very important, what's happening there. First of all, you know the elections in Venezuela and the ramifications. But and by the way, and, and as you answer the question, you, you have spoken to us for years about the South American connection to Iran and how, they, how some of these countries are, are really becoming a, you know, a bastion in South America for the Iranians. Is that changing now because of the current atmosphere? Worse, getting worse all the time. I had a briefing yesterday. Even with these movements guy. by Argentina? And- thirty to 40,000 agents, doubling number of diplomatic missions, 80 new cultural centers in South America, expanding their activities from Argentina to Mexico, expanding all the time, both Hezbollah and Iranian direct, building facilities, military activities, terrorist training. But Argentina's election is huge because Macri, the new president, actually and his wife lit Hanukkah candles in the presidential palace. They are not Jewish, but they, uh, right. they signed. And the the um, um, and and remember that Hezbollah raises money through illicit businesses, drug smuggling. They operate out of the tri-border area. Uh, but they, but more importantly, is that we're seeing that those activities are spreading, including into the United States, both uh, illicit drugs, illicit cigarettes, other things that yield them hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars a year. That the change in Argentina is twofold. One is that they canceled the deal with Iran that was reached by uh, for, uh, by President Kushner, the wife. Um, which allowed, which essentially exculpated the Iranian officials who were involved in the bombing of the Amiya. It, it sort of squashed the, the investigation. Mm. That has been canceled. They renewed the investigation. Right. And they also reopened the file that Nisman, the prosecutor who was murdered, if you remember in the sure. morning before his testimony, they've reopened that investigation now and have gone to the courts to, to allow them to start again the prosecutions and looking into the role of uh, uh, Fernandez de Kushner and uh, Foreign Minister Timmerman in the cover-up of uh, uh, in, in, in dealing with Iran and all sorts of um, illicit activities between them, which was part of the, the, the what, what, what Nisman was uh, investigating in before his tragic murder. Yeah. 
Um, and as we conclude this segment, after what we just said regarding what's happening in Israel, a Palestinian motorist attempted to carry out a vehicular terror attack against Israeli security forces at the Kalandia crossing in the West Bank. Friday afternoon, the IDF said the terrorists were shot at the scene. No reported injuries on the Israeli side. So that all continues. And it is remarkable. I think you said this last week. It is remarkable how Israelis, especially in the form of the IDF and others who are standing around the security officials, are able to act as quickly as they are. You know, some, well, I don't know if I should say this publicly, but whatever. Now, let's just say that not, not, not all emergency services, medical and otherwise, medical and police, respond <laughs> the way we see the response in Israel. That's true, and there, you know there was a dispute because the order was given to treat terrorists in the yeah. same way. You know, whoever's the most seriously wounded, whether yeah. it's the terrorist or the victims of the terror, and I understand fully why people rejected that and said you first treat the victims regardless, yeah. and then whatever, then you pay attention to the the terrorists. But as you know, they're taken to Israeli hospitals and they're treated, and uh, and we're likely to see that this will continue. Um, it's very hard to to crush it completely, but and and look at how the media reports it as if as if you know the victims, the Palestinian victims or Arab victims, are you know victims of terror in the same way. When in fact they're the perpetrators yeah. in most of the cases. There was one who was killed in one of the attacks, but the 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 fact that the Israelis are responding when what do you do when guys are coming with knives and guns and killing people? You kill them, and you, you take them out or, or neutralize them, as they say. And if they can do it with keeping them alive, they do. But if not, then they have to take the action that is necessary to, to neutralize them. And we're seeing you know, things that, that are off the front pages, like the reports about Hamas and Islamic uh, IS's uh, Sinai uh, troops. And if you remember, I, I alluded to this last week. But now, all of a sudden, this week, everybody's starting to pay attention to it, about the level of cooperation, how Hamas is smuggling tens of thousands of dollars to, to, to IS in, in the Sinai. The commander of the Islamic State Sinai, in the Sinai has been in Gaza. They're coordinating. They're, uh, they're transferring weapons both ways. That come, uh, IS tr- smuggles it into Gaza, but Gaza also smuggles weapons to them, including anti-tank missiles and other things which have caused heavy losses to the Egyptian forces. And... Uh, and and they are also some of them are, are responsible for some of the rocket fire uh, from Sinai uh, into Israel, and they're sharing their knowledge and and the experience with that. But the the um, the nature of this uh, cooperation and the increasing capacity there is is of uh, of a lot of concern, and it's why the Israeli Egyptian cooperation, amongst other reasons, is. Um, is so significant. And, you, you know, in Sinai, you have now, they say, a thousand heavily armed Bedouins who are affiliated with Islamic State, with IS, uh, pose a threat to the Egyptian troops and forces. And the they're convinced that Hamas, the Egyptians are convinced that Hamas is sustaining this effort to undermine the government control in the Sinai, which is why they've taken the heavy actions they have in closing the tunnels and trying to limit their ability to get weapons and support and assistance. Wow, it's amazing how much has to be monitored. It's just unbelievable. And, and you know, we didn't even get into the story in Yemen about what's happening there in Qatar, but all of it is interrelated. That's the important thing. But we did have an important thing with the UAW, uh, United Oil Workers, their international union rejected a BDS effort by mm. a group of uh, on, in a California university that are affiliated with them. 
and um, uh, that that again is an important statement that uh, BDS is rejected by the American people, and hopefully more people will take strong actions. And when we read about a dentist being denied security clearance because he has relatives in Israel, uh, security clearance to be a dentist in a civilian in in a not on a military base, uh, we should all pay attention to it because there's there's still discrimination there 106 such cases in the last decade who went to appeal which means that there are many more that never went to appeal and we still see this kind of discrimination unbelievable uh we'll speak two weeks from today my topic next week by the way at my yeshiva high school is prayer and if there's one thing i've learned from you today we have a lot to pray for <laughs> we have a lot of good things to pray for also and That's a lot right. of good things to celebrate and uh, even though it's post Hanukkah, we still remember the miracles of Hanukkah by Yomi Mahem Bazmanazeh that are still taking place. So again, knowing about the dangers and knowing what's happening, I gave you examples of all the good things, how the increased cooperation, even what's happening with Turkey. Right. Uh, these are all positive signs that we should not overlook. 100%. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak in uh, two weeks. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Our next weekly update will be two weeks from today. As I mentioned, 25th of December, I'm usually here, um, but I am uh, going to ask one of our amazing hosts here at JMNAM to take over so I could be at Mayanot Yeshiva High School for a presentation next Friday morning. I'm very much looking forward to it. 